Hello and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. It's been almost two months since the worst home results possibly in the history of Irish football. The boys in green have a training camp scheduled uh, for the end of season in Spain. Uh, I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football to discuss or who we think will be included in Stephen Kenny's squad when he announces it next week. And I'm delighted to be joined by the Labour TD for Dublin Bay North and the tour guide for the Dublin Walking Football Tour, Aon O'Reardon. Aon, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Aon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I did the football tour myself back in September. Uh, obviously, it had to be halted due to the ongoing global pandemic and the restrictions that were brought in across the country. But it, it has returned uh, since the restrictions have been listed in, in recent weeks. And uh, I understand that you've made a few changes since I was on it last year. Well, yeah, I, I, just to, to explain it, like Dublin doesn't have a, a football tour uh, as such. I know a lot of other cities uh, around Europe have, and we have a very interesting football tale to tell. Most of it, you know, interwoven with the history of the state, politics, history, uh, and the way that, you know, football or soccer was viewed uh, by official Ireland at the beginning of the state. So we talked a lot about the tension between um, soccer and particularly GAA in the early period of the state, uh, and a lot of the characters around Crow Park, actually, because the tour goes from Crow Park to Daly Mount Park, and there's a huge number of Irish soccer internationals who are from that area around Crow Park, from Paddy Moore in the 30s, Patrick O'Connell in the 1910s, uh, Tom Farkerson in the 30s. These are all people with very interesting backstories. Uh, to more recent internationals, Troy Power, Jack Byrne, Curtis Fleming, Wes Hulahan, Stephen Elliott. These are all people from right around the stadium. So we move from the dynamic of Crow Park effectively feeling like it's an alien spaceship in a soccer area to talk about a lot of the controversies about the game, you know, where the church has tried to intervene uh, at certain stages, you know, h- how politics in, uh, uh, interacted with, um, with the game and how one association became two associations a hundred years ago um, and how the ban, if you like, uh, on inverted commas foreign games still really exists in some people's mindsets. So um, a lot of stories to tell and, and we really enjoy it. It takes about an hour and a half to go from, from Crow Park to, to Daily Mountains, myself and Gary Cook, who is uh, one of the Apre match presenters, if you like. So uh, so we really enjoy it and it's free. There's, we just ask for contributions towards our insurance costs and you can get us at um, footballwalkingtour at gmail.com. That's great. Uh, like I said, I, I did it myself back in September when the first lockdown uh, restrictions were lifted. Um, I really enjoyed it, and uh, it's a good stretch of the legs. And, you know, considering where you would usually go for entertainment uh, are, current, are still off limits to us all, cinemas, theatres, concerts, live sport of all kinds are still unavailable. Uh, I did think when it was first announced that things like walking tours uh, were absolutely ideal, and not just from a historical point of view, but, you know, we've all been advised to walk as exercise for our own mental health, and perhaps they really enjoyed the tour. I've recommended to anyone who's looking for something a little bit different to do, something that they they might not do um, should all the usual uh, entertainment be available to you. 
Well, we find that we find that I mean a lot of people who I suppose have been picking through their program collection over the last while or are feeling nostalgic about games they went to come on the tour. We've had a few ex-internationals. We had Turtle O'Connor on the tour. We had Noel King on the tour. We had um, Alan O'Neill, former League of Ireland goalkeeper, on the tour. We had Mickey Whelan, former double manager, on the tour. A lot of this, you know, people of a certain generation wouldn't really understand or be aware of the type of um, tension, if you like, or friction between the two codes, how, particularly in Dublin, young people who went to Christian Brothers schools, particularly boys, would be accused of being corner boys going up to Dalyman Park. The fact that Liam Brady was effectively expelled from school for playing soccer. Um, the fact that John Giles left Ireland's age 14, 15, not thinking that he was even Irish because of the influence of, of, the, of the brothers in, in, the, in Brunswick Street. The fact that, you know, the first president of Ireland went to an international in 1938 and Douglas Hyde and was expelled as a patron of the GA for attending a soccer match. And then we talk about uh, other instances, controversies around the fact that uh, John Charles McQuaid, Archbishop of Dublin, tried tried to cancel an, an international in 1955 between Ireland and, uh, and Yugoslavia. And then of all, as mentioned, all the characters who lived around there. So we have, you know, a local man who, who effectively changed the uh, the penalty kick forever. It was Tom Farkinson, who's a goalkeeper for Cardiff City. He was from Jones's Road. We have a former manager of Barcelona was from uh, just off Jones's Road, a lot of very interesting characters. The guy from Richmond Road, Alex Stevenson. There was 14 years between his first cap and his second cap, and, and we we take in Talker Park as well. And some of the stuff that we talk about is actually quite uh, quite relevant to today because there's a question mark over the future of Talker Park. We talk about the demise of uh, the League of Ireland and hopefully uh, a return to to a lot of positivity around the game. And there's other stories about Con Martin, who you know won a, a league a Leinster Championship medal with Dublin in 1941. They discovered he played soccer and they wouldn't give him his medal. Uh, so I think for a younger generation, maybe younger than us, this friction tension between the two codes is something they don't understand. They probably you know enjoy both games, uh, enjoy both codes for them. Soccer, rugby, Gaelic is is part of their their lives. It's, they they can enjoy all the codes, but it's interesting just to develop as to why. You know, people were viewed in a certain light if they played Gaelic football or hurling. If they were viewed in a certain light if they played rugby, and viewed in a certain light if they if they were uh, if they were soccer uh, people. We get into Dalymouth as well, and we get to see the pitch. We talk about a lot of the big the, the big games and internationals that took place there as well. And it's a very nostalgic hour and a half. And and Gary brings an awful lot of the impressions as well. So you're you're your Eamon Dunphy impression will certainly improve <laughs> by the time the yeah by the time the tour is finished, you know. But uh, but football is important. Sports important. I think often as football fans we can not have enough self confidence confidence in trying to promote the game as as something that's really important in Irish society. Uh, and football is very important. A lot of our best memories we have as children are, are, are focused around around football games that we went with our families. We should stand up for it more. We should believe in it more. We should definitely fund it more. And uh, and you can't have something that means so much to so many people uh, and sort of diminish it and not and not try to maybe uh, stand up for it. So you know, there's other movements going on. People want to have a, a proper football museum, maybe attached to the new Dalyman Park. What we're doing is trying to bring uh, the story of football in Ireland, soccer, GA uh, to life in the walking tour. You guys are doing your podcast, which is brilliant. It's great that so many people now are, are finding platforms to talk about the game um, because the game is really important. Something that well, I might not have mentioned on the tour was that I actually went to a, a CBS 
uh, school in Limerick, obviously a, a long, long time ago now, and there was absolutely no issues with the pupils playing GAA uh, in either hurling or, or Gaelic football or turning out for the, the school football team. Um, in fact, it was it was encouraged. Um, and there was guys in my class who, you know, played in goals for the hurling team and played up front for the, the football team and, you know, played in defence for the, the, the Gaelic side. So, you know, there's, that change in attitudes, um, in the country in less than a hundred years, um, uh, is, is remarkable. And, you know, who knows where, where it's going to be in, you know, the next, the next hundred, even the next 50 years. Yeah, I saw just on, on the well, the school thing is interesting because we had we had No King on the tour. He was he was quite vocal about the fact that he doesn't find in a Dublin context that enough second level schools are promoting the game. There are, in terms of Irish education, you could identify schools sometimes by the the sport that they promote. So obviously, rugby there'd be a lot of rugby schools at second level, and that's how they almost interact with the world is is that they are rugby schools, and certainly a lot of primary schools and in Dublin, a huge number of primary schools would identify themselves as being you know GEA schools. They we get the played of the, the coming of the Moscow finals in Crow Park. It, it, it's again how they interface with the world. Few and far between would you find a school that would identify itself as a soccer school. They would have soccer well, you know, I say soccer so as not to confuse it with, with other codes, you know, totally interwoven into the fabric of the school, that this is how it identifies itself. Still even to this day, I'd imagine if you went into the senior men or women's Irish soccer international dressing room and asked people to put up their hands who had a soccer team in their school, uh, I'd say you'd be lucky to get half of them to put their hands up. And, uh, and that's something that is, I think, probably unique to Ireland in the European context, that we still have a difficulty in, in really entwining uh, soccer as a game in the education system. Now, it is probably changing, uh, but when you think of the development officers that are available, um, you know, a county like Kildare, 20 GEA development officers, two soccer development officers in, in Dublin. It, it, it wouldn't be as bad as that, but certainly the resources are uh, are lopsided. And then we should talk about, you know, the, the way the game is funded and how and how other codes would be much more successful at getting, uh, you know, political support for what they're trying to achieve. And we know all about the controversies that surrounded the FEI. So while a lot of these things and these attitudes have been, are in the past, a lot of them have their legacies in, in, in how the game is treated even today. It's just not as powerful. It just doesn't have the same influence as other codes do. And that does impact on, uh, on how we can promote it at the youth level, promote it in education uh, and offer as, offer it as a, as a, uh, as a vehicle for young people to, uh, to have a career in it. But, uh, you know, we don't necessarily discuss that too much in the tour, but there's, there's a reason why the things are the way they are. Uh, and a lot of it goes back to the way the game was treated, the people who played it the people who enjoy it and in many instances the people who still play it and, and still enjoy it are just not as powerful necessarily politically uh, as those who might enjoy other codes. That's actually true in, in Limerick as well. There is definitely uh, one school that would be known as a rugby school and possibly a second one but wouldn't be too far behind it. There would be schools that would be associated with GAA uh, but you wouldn't know them as uh, a GAA school and uh, I know that one of our big rivals in the Harty Cup, which is the, the big schoolboy hurling competition in Munster, is from Ennis and would be known as a, a hurling school. But in terms of Limerick City itself, you wouldn't associate 
a soccer team with the school, but there are definitely rugby schools, um, mm. you know, in the Treaty City. But, I mean, what we're trying to do, I suppose, just is, is to tell some of these stories of individuals that maybe people didn't know and try to knit them together in some kind of a narrative uh, that, you know, lends to people's memories and, uh, and, and feel a bit nostalgic and, and can refresh great, great times in people's heads, but also maybe to, um, to challenge us to where we go into the future. But there's some stories that are quite troubling. There's a story of, 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 of a player called uh, Jimmy Hasty, uh, uh, who, um, uh, who was a Dundalk player from Belfast who played in the 60s. He had one arm because he lost an arm in a mill in Belfast when he was working there as a 14-year-old. He, he was a forward for, for Dundalk. And when Dundalk won the league, I think in 63, they played a European game against Zurich. And he played in Daily Mounted Austria in at home. But the only time up until that point that an Irish uh, domestic side had ever won in Europe away was against Zurich in the second leg. When they won 2-1, he scored the winner. So you have a one-armed player from Belfast playing for Dundalk, scoring the winner in the European tie against Zurich. And ten years later, he was murdered by the UBF in Belfast on his way to work because he was a Catholic. And stories like that are not really told for some reasons. There are a lot of stories like that are kind of uh, new to, to, to people who follow the game. And I think it's important for us maybe to, to emphasize them or, 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 to, or to rekindle them, that people will know about Liam Whelan, the fact he played... Uh, in Daily Mount in 1957 for, for Manchester United and for Ireland and then by February 1958 he, he had been killed in Munich um, and, and the other controversies we spoke about about the, you know, the Archbishop trying to, to stop the, the, the soccer international what's interesting about that the, the Archbishop John Charles McQuaid trying to, to get rid to, to, to prevent the Ireland Yugoslavia game going ahead in 1955 the power he had he literally just overthrown the government four years previously but there was resistance to that, um, to him trying to cancel that game. He'd been successful in canceling the game three years previously in 1952. The game was refixed. There was resistance from the arts community, actually, led by Patrick Kavanagh. The game actually went ahead. And it was possibly the first time that there was resistance to, to what he was trying to do or the influence that he had. But think of the image, though, of 1955, the All-Ireland football final. The Archbishop of Cashel threw in the ball. Meanwhile, a month later, in October '55, the Archbishop of Dublin is trying to stop the soccer international uh, in Dalyman Park. The power and the connectivity and the comfort between official Ireland and GAA, which just wasn't there when it came to official Ireland uh, and soccer. The President of Ireland didn't attend that Yugoslavian game. The, the RTE commentator, Philip Green, didn't commentate on the game. So stories like that kind of give us a sense as to why soccer was always on the outside a little bit until the late 80s, early 90s, and why it still has an awful lot of catching up to do in terms of being powerful, demanding that funding, demanding that respect, and clearly from what it is, from, <coughs> from, what it, from, what in it, from within itself as an association has really let itself down in trying to promote itself uh, as a, a fully functional sporting entity that deserves that funding and deserves that respect and that's why other codes have done so much better I think and Just on uh, the research that went into the tour Aidan um, did it take you long to actually research all the basically everything went into it and were you surprised at the amount of knowledge or info you found and is it the thing where uh, you seem to keep adding to it as you research and find out more or is it just set Well no I, I suppose because it's a geographical tour, like I would have known about Paddy Moore, for example, who once scored four goals in the World Cup qualifier in 1934 and then died to, you know, complications with alcohol. I would have known he was from Ballyrock. 
but then you kind of try and learn a little bit more about him. Um, but I didn't know about Tom Farkinson, who is a guy who's an IRA activist who ex- exiled to Wales, then wins an FA Cup uh, with Cardiff in 1927. And the reason why goalkeepers have to stay on their line for penalty kicks now is because he used to rush off his line at penalty kicks uh, and they've changed the rule because of him. Uh, and he had a gun in his kit bag for all his career. <laughs> and I, you know, you do have to, like, you go to, to, you do kind of weave in some of these stories, uh, because geographically you're going past the Bishop's Palace or you're going past Bertie Hon- Heron's old office and talk about, you know, the, the interaction of politics and, and the game. But a lot of these stories have been given to us by people on the tour. Uh, we know that Patrick O'Connell obviously lived in John Condon as a plaque on his house. But some of these stories are actually given to us by people on the tour, you know. But we walk by where Eamon Dunphy used to live, where Owen Hand used to live. We go past Stella Maris, where there's a huge number of players that have international honours that went through Stella. Um, and obviously when you have Gary Cook with you, people want to hear the, you know, the impression of Giles and the impression of Dunphy and the impressions of, you know, uh, anybody else that, that, that comes, that comes to his mind. But we really enjoy it when somebody, um, on the tour has been at one of those matches, you know. And there was a gentleman at one of the tour who was at the 55 game and was at the 57 game between Ireland and England and can remember a lot of these players. So that's, that's really enjoyable. Uh, the biggest kick we get though is when we get an email back from somebody saying, my granddad was on the tour and he really enjoyed it, brought back a lot of memories. And that's really why we're doing it for, for no other reason really is that people can just get out of the houses and, uh, and walk around for a while and, and they can't go to a game, it's to talk about the history. But there is a poignancy to it as well. I think maybe it's long gone, but the way a certain class of person in that community, in that in that North City area of Dublin, was viewed because they were soccer people and uh, and didn't really fit in with the with the view of uh, of the idealised Ireland, you know, the kind of the the Antalonic uh, or the um, you know the self-sufficient fisherman uh, on the west of Ireland who was Irish speaking and uh, and played traditional music and played Gaelic football, and then maybe the the, the inner city kid in in, in Dublin or Limerick or Cork or, or or wherever who didn't fit into that and played a different game and had a different sort of uh, outlook on life. But anyway, um, we just enjoy enjoy that enjoy uh, you know. Uh, talking about that and and investigating it and and we do hear an awful lot more stories about about characters from from around the place, but by the time we're finished, it's probably going to be five hours long. You know, <laughs> all the stories are told and yeah. and the I mean, you know, we had we we had uh, Mickey Whelan on tour who was talking about um, you know, the vigilance committee that used to stand outside Daly Mill Park and 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 Lands and Rose. These are GAA officials uh, from the Vigilance Committee ticking off names of GAA members who are going to the games so they could be banned. That for somebody in their 20s is absolutely bizarre. But that's what used to happen. Aon, what are your hopes for the the tour? Uh, Do you want to expand this? Uh, Do you want other people to come in and lead it? Or do you think even any of the rest of the (laughs) Every Match crew will, will come along and start lending their talents? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, we, we, our plan was to do it once, uh, last August. And then, you know, we got such an interest in it, uh, that we just did a few more. And now we just can't keep up with demands. And like, I, I have, I have a job that I'm supposed to be doing when I'm not doing this. Uh, you know, um, but look, I, uh, I enjoy doing it. We're now doing it kind of, you know, uh, the weekends and, and Monday evenings. But if, if people still keep enjoying it, then, like, like my job is, is, is quite a kind of, um, 
it can be quite negative. It's quite adversarial. You're involved in debates and arguments. Um, uh, politics can be often something that um, that can be a kind of a you're dealing with a lot of problems. Uh, and you don't get to really focus on the lighter side of life or, or the positivity in life, especially when you're in opposition politics. Your job is sometimes to be negative and to pick holes in things and to be critical of things. So I enjoy getting the opportunity to be positive and to uh, 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 and to do something uplifting. And you know, it, it is fun. We do crack jokes. Um, uh, so I enjoy it. Uh, and on that basis, I'd like to keep it uh, like that. We've had all sorts of offers from people who, you know. Think we should do it for SAG parties, and we should, you know, we should, we should, you know, professionalize it and commercialize it and all that. But I don't know. I, 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 uh, I like the fact that people can come. It's free. They can, they can enjoy it on that level. If they want to contribute to the insurance costs that we did have to take out an insurance policy for, it because look, somebody could trip, they could get injured. Um, we need to be wary of that. And they want to contribute to it on that level. That's, that's, that, that's fine. And, and, and if they're not. You know, because people are going through a tough time. If they just want to come and enjoy it, and and that, that's that's enough for us as well. Uh, Gary obviously is in an industry that's been flattened by COVID. <laughs> he, like he can't do anything at the moment. He's you know there's there's no the entertainment industry which he which he works in. It's is has been has been you know paused for a year now. So for him, he gets out and about and interacting with people as well. So as long as uh, as people still want to talk football history, then that's great. But like for me, um. I think uh, my hope is that we raise the standard of debate about football in Ireland. Um, we stop being sort of we have we, we need a little bit more self confidence about ourselves uh, as a as a football community as a as we might call ourselves. I have lots of opinions about how the game is structured, how how it could be improved, how the game interacts uh, with the women's game. Uh, and I just from being within politics, I I just see how other games are. I, I just have more clout. Uh, I give an example of the president of GEA spoke to the Shannon there, I think it was two years ago, I was a member of the Shannon at the time, and every member of the Shannon was tripping over themselves to prove how what, what great GA people they were and, and how you know, wonderful the association was. And there was an hour of uncritical lionising of the GEA, which was interesting. And there's a lot of people in Leinster House on the back of their GEA reputation because they're ex-players or, or whatever, I can't think of anybody who was in Leinster House on the back of their soccer reputation. It just wouldn't happen. It just hasn't happened. I can't think of a former, uh, outside of Oscar Trainer, I can't think of a, 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 of a clearly identifiable soccer person who, who, who uh, got involved in politics on, on that basis. Happens in rugby and it happens in GA. It doesn't really happen in soccer. And that shows, it shows uh, in terms of the power base of, uh, of the game. So, I'm not saying this to be critical of other codes. I just think it's interesting. And I just think we should know as to why that is and where the history comes from uh, uh, so we can improve it for the future. Because we all want you know, the Irish men's and Irish women's teams to be qualifying for tournaments. Uh, we, you know, the game lifts people. It, 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 it genuinely lifts people. There is no other game that lifts the nation like, like, like soccer does. I defy anybody uh, to tell me that there's another game that does it. Because... Uh, that's my experience of it, and it touches a huge number of communities that need the game. Disadvantaged communities, uh, those who are suffering with addiction, those who are in homelessness, and um, you know those who have come here from overseas. 
uh, you find any really disadvantaged grouping in Irish society, those who are really on the, on the bottom rung of the ladder, football is generally their game. Uh, and it's the power that the game can have to lift people um, really needs to be spoken about more. And uh, if, if the walking tour can lend itself to that debate and to speak to the power of it, well, then it's, uh, it's, it's, it's worthwhile even just for that. I wonder if the professionalism of rugby, uh, I know we're 25 years, I think, since professionalism was introduced in the old ball game. And something that I think is interesting is that we're, start, we're seeing now the retirement of players who have spent their entire career playing professional rugby, like from the, from, from the school bike setup all the way to, you know, retiring, uh, in their, Early thirties as uh, as as Ireland internationals. Um, you know, will the the money that they make from their career does that mean will that set them up for the rest of their of their lives? And with the interest in say politics diminish, they, like I don't think that the amount of footballers of Irish footballers that go on to Irish politics is strictly uh, an Irish experience. I mean, I, I would. Other than maybe Gareth Farley, uh, who qualified as a lawyer after after representing Ireland and uh, keeping out in in the Premier League, I would struggle to name anyone who went on to have a career in something like say politics or, or law. And even now, I think uh, Gareth Farley has moved back and is representing player interests. He might be someone who be who would have some some interesting thoughts uh, on the matter actually. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you talk to Stephen McGuinness from from the PFAI, he'll say that thirty percent of um, League of Ireland players, uh, their only qualification is is a junior cert. We have last sixty, seventy years, we we have made Irish soccer something that is very English orientated. Uh, we want our players to go there to be professionals. We want to encourage those who are of Irish lineage to come back and play for the country. Uh, we have more respect for managers who have spent time in England. Um, we have a massive chip on our shoulder when it comes to the uh, the domestic game. Uh, and there's a huge cohort of people who are interested in the game in Ireland who probably are more interested as to whether Liverpool will get into the top four than whether Ireland will get to the World Cup. Uh, and if you go to you know, a pre-season friendly in Talker Park or Dademan Park or wherever, and it's an English team versus a League of Ireland side, it's depressing how many people will be wearing the colours of the opposing side. Now, those are, those are points that people don't like to hear. They grate on people. They don't like people to question their right to be my United fans, first and foremost, or Liverpool fans, first and foremost. And I get it. I understand it. And I'm not trying to criticise people for that. But I think we should, you know, we should be self-confident enough to promote the idea of a domestic football industry. And that kids who are 16, 17 don't have to go to England. If you were to invest in the training, the coaching, uh, the facilities, uh, the game, uh, the potential for an All-Ireland League, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, to have completely mentally and emotionally moved our football allegiance to England in terms of the club structure uh, and in terms of our attitude to those who come from within the Irish uh, uh you know, uh, domestic football, um, true domestic football, really has to be challenged. You can see in the way people used to interact with Brian Kerr when he was international manager, how they're interacting now with Stephen Kenny, uh, comments online when the results aren't going our way. 
um, I, I, I think there's huge scope for us to challenge that uh, and, and to reclaim a lot of that. Like I've been, in, I was in an Ireland game game there in 2015. Most of people began to, to boo Raheem Sterling because he was going to leave Liverpool. I said, is, is this where we're at? We're in an Ireland game and people are actually booing an English player because he's going to leave the, the club that they actually, that, that, that they're more interested in following. This is, this is how they interact with this guy. One thing I would say, being down here in Mayo, uh, don't be surprised about how much people outside of Dublin don't really like people from Dublin. And a lot of people in comments would much rather support Liverpool than a Dublin. Oh, I get, it's just, I, I, it's something I that seems to go over yeah. everybody's head when they're talking about this guy. You know, so many people, and you'd say, you're going up to, I, well, I go to a boy game, I might go to Sligo Rovers to showgrounds, but I'd rather support United than I'd support Shamrock Rovers. You know, it's just, that's a, that's a huge thing that no one ever talks about. It's oh, no, well, people uh, are oblivious to it. I'm not one of them, but as as a Bose huh? fan, I probably feel similar. But Shamrock <laughs> Rovers, but no, 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 I I I I get that. But like, I I think if we're trying to like, I don't want to criticize those who people who, who are into supporting an English side. I get it. I you know I, I understand it. But I think we have to be an awful lot more self confident about about our own Irish soccer culture. Uh, you know that it's not something that we have to just export and then hopefully to. Reimport again for the international sides. Um, I think if we're serious about it. We could really produce something that um, that we would all enjoy. But that's uh, that, that that's probably where you asked me about where the, the 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 walking tour wants to go into the future. It wants just to point at the history of the game in the country, how it has come to this point, how it has interacted with politics and history, a major events in in Irish history, um, but also where it needs to learn those lessons and be more self-confident about the future. I think the emergence of services like League of Ireland TV uh, will help in that respect. I mean, growing up, I don't remember watching a lot of Irish teams on TV, but I do remember Saturday afternoons, you could you could guess, uh, if not live coverage, then definitely delayed coverage of Premier League games in England. You, with the ongoing global pandemic, Having a service like EU Ireland TV, you know, will give us a metric to see what the, the level of interest is uh, in the game at at local level. And when restrictions are lifted and people can you know can return to stadiums, we can see the maybe the effect that 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 has. I think uh, things like you know some of the goals that have been scored going viral and appearing on news channels around the world is another way that the you know the league has has improved. Um, I think I think Shamrock Rovers are probably the biggest club in the country right now. I, I'm probably going to get slaughtered by Dundalk fans for that, but they definitely have the the best stadium. And if we can see them push on and make an impact at the European level, you know, yeah, as but, Dundalk but have I, done in the last few years, that I, I do, that's yeah, raising I, the the profile of the game here. It is, but I I think like. And again, uh, Shane Ross's minister a couple of years ago had a had a, a meeting in Mansion House of, of 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 who were the you know the the main players in Irish football, if you like. And it was a time of, of great controversy in the FBI, and it was a good initiative. And I was at it. I was invited to it, and we're all set out in our tables. You've got three hundred people in the room, about four women. If you're going to grow a game, you can't isolate fifty percent of the population. And if you're a woman going to a League of Ireland ground, is not a very uplifting experience. If you start talking in in that room about you know 
free sanitary products, about breastfeeding facilities, about that agenda of making our League of Ireland grounds or the football experience uh, in Ireland female friendly. I mean, it doesn't. It isn't just about the scandal of the women's team having to hand back their tracksuits at the airport when they came back from an internationals. Uh, it's about how you grow the game and how you make it uh, something that families will enjoy. Uh, and people who will think strategically like that. Uh, if you go to your average GA club, and I know rugby is is is, is similar, it's a, it, it's a family uh, event. Um, you go to Crow Park, it's families. Um, you go to a GA club, uh, it's families are involved. I think the women's side is 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 hugely popular and has been invested in and promoted. Uh, so it's that kind of thing I would suggest that uh, that that it's just this untapped potential. How can you have so many people in this country interested in a game? Uh, who, who will spend so much time watching it, playing it, talking about it, and yet can be so poorly run, and yet huge percentage of that energy and time and discussion happens about something that's happening in another country. You just have to challenge that so that it'll get better. That's I I, I think is what is what we're, is what you know. And this isn't a party political thing. It's not about me slagging off the government or uh, or, or government slagging off me. I, I I think you have to just analyze sometimes as to how other games have done things better, how the GA has become a movement uh, as a massive success story because they did it by themselves, how rugby has embraced, as you said, the, the, prof- the professional era, totally embraced it and, and produced a product of basically four effectively clubs who were possibly non-entities, if you like, uh, uh, 40, 50 years ago, I, you're from Munster, so <laughs> you're going you're gonna to disagree with that, but turned them into absolute European powerhouses. Uh, even Connacht rugby, which you would have thought was impossible. And how soccer has just not managed to embrace any of that at the same time. The, the education standard of the players, the fact that the women's football is so down at heel, the fact that the, the infrastructure around the country is so poor, and the association allowed to bankrupt itself or, or almost while everybody was watching. And then everybody, you know, we get a 1-0 loss to Luxembourg and everybody says it's the fault of the manager. That's completely missing the point. So it all leads up to, uh, it all has an influence on on what happens with our senior international sides or under underage sides, the number of players we have in the Premiership. I know you're going to touch on that now in a minute when you're talking about the, the squad for, for the upcoming friendlies, how many players you have in, in the Scottish leagues and in, in the English leagues who are playing at the highest level. It's not the same as it once was. Um, and the number of players coming through, so it's all it's it's all inter- interconnected. And I think we deserve as football people to be at the top table of of political policy discussion and uh, demanding respect, earning that respect, and um, and the and the infrastructure and the investment that should come from that. I give an example. You know, ho- horse racing Ireland, the horse and greyhound fund gets in around eighty nine to ninety six million a year. The reason was because 20-odd years ago, they sat down with the then uh, Minister for Finance, who was Kildare-based, and organised for a piece of legislation to be introduced in 2001 called the Horse and Greyhound Act. And every single cent from a levy on betting goes towards that fund. So you put down a, a, a bet on anything in Ireland, soccer, rugby, two snails, climb up a wall, all of that levy goes towards the Horse and Greyhound Fund. Most of that is for is for horses, and the majority of that is prize money. Now they have constructed and enhanced an incredible industry, domestic horse industry in Ireland. 
probably one of the best in the world. But it all comes from that political discussion they have with the Minister of Finance 20 years ago. It was always there, but it, it has embraced the modern era in a way where the funding is 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 huge, but it, it justifies itself. Similar conversation. The returns are massive. Well, the returns are massive, yeah. But I, you know, uh, and you know, 20 years ago or 25 years ago, a similar conversation was had with um, the Dublin County Board and Bertie Hearn as Minister for Finance about replacing the uh, retiring Christian Brothers with a proper underage coaching personnel, and he did. He invested in it, and now the Dubs are winning all Ireland South right and centre. There is capacity for forward-thinking, visionary people within sporting organisations to tap into the political system, to to demand in, uh, investment, and then to show a return on that investment. And what can the GEA in Dublin show? Thousands of young people playing in very, very high standard facilities, and Dublin winning on Ireland's left, right, and centre, and kids in Dublin wearing Dublin jerseys as opposed to wearing maybe Manchester United jerseys. It's cool, and it's you know it, 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 they are. The fashionable side. We'll have uh, horse racing. Ireland's got the show for their investments. A massive industry, uh, you know, supporting 25,000 jobs. Now, that's vision. That's political lobbying in the proper way. Could you imagine the FAI doing something of that nature? Showing that vision, having that interaction, getting that political power, investing in it properly, producing an industry. I can't it frustrates me that it hasn't happened because the interest is so high and because the power of the game is so, is so high. Look, like, look at the underage international size playing for Ireland. Look at where the kids are from. Look where their parents are from. It is a massive, massive opportunity. Look at the number of, you know, uh, of Lithuanian Irish, Polish Irish, of African Irish kids in Ireland. The game they want to play is football. The most disadvantaged areas in the country and certainly where, where I represent, football is their game. It is so powerful. It is so powerful. And yet, it's so, it, at the same time, it's so powerless when it comes to politics. So, th- that is not a kind of a party political statement. That's something I think is just an obs- obser- uh, observation of, of the power of some sports versus others. Um, and I think that's something that we have to collectively to challenge. Because it does lead to the, why, the reason why other European co- countries have similar populations to ours uh, have better, you know, return on them um, on the international front is because they've invested in the game and they've a pool of players they can pick from and are playing at a higher level, and the results are better. And a domestic league that that, that can justify its, its existence and washes washes its own face, and is it, a good watch and an enjoyable experience. Do you think that some people, when they hear that, when they hear that you know the game needs investment, they you know expect suddenly to have stadiums of the standard of and I'm not talking about, say, Manchester United, but even, say, someone maybe a little further down the league, like Portsmouth. And when, you know, you go... To, I've been to the League of Ireland grounds, um, and the facilities for men were, you know, left a lot to be desired. And, like, never mind what may have been available for the, for the women. And, yeah, it, it discourages you from going back. It's... Uh, bigger debate than you know the the four of us can solve in, yeah. in one night and uh, it's interesting actually to get the opinion of someone like yourself who you know is sitting down with the decision makers on where the funding for sports can go in the country and the frustration that you feel about you know where it is going and where it should be going and 
it's it's much harder. Than, sorry, Joe, going to question, but it's, it's, no, it's, it's you know the the the, the FBI have made it harder for politics to invest in it. If you if you you know the GEA can show what they've what they've done with their money. They, mm. Porky Cueve, any re, any regional ground is of a high standard, and the game is of a high standard, and the children get coached. Uh, I mentioned the horse racing. I mentioned rugby. There are other codes as well. They can say you invest in us and, and look what we look what we've done. You just have to read champagne football, and it's very difficult for anybody in politics to stand up and say this crowd need more money. And that's that's real politique. That's that's you yeah. know uh, y- you don't you don't you know behave yourself with taxpayers' money, then you don't deserve to be trusted. Well, how do we get to a situation where, uh, uh, of, of what was allowed to happen uh, with the game being administered in the way it was? Um, look, yeah, we need to reflect on that and make sure it never happens again. But you know, there, you can't. In, in some ways, you can't blame uh, the, you know the the, the, the political power uh, powers that be not investing in the game, which was misspending whatever money it, it got. Uh, and having poor go- uh, governance structures uh, and all the rest. Do you think that reform is going to come before investment, or do you think that you know the two of them can happen side by side? Um, I, I think the two of them can happen side by side. But I, I think like before the last general election, I had a meeting in, in Clefter and Niall Quinn spoke out. I mean, a few people speaking out about the game, and some of the contributions from the floor were very, very visionary uh, and uh, and very pragmatic. Uh, about people who care really deeply about this game and want to see it, you know, survive and thrive. Uh, I think we need to uh, give a better platform for those people who are thinking long term about what Irish football is going to be like in ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. Um, to move to move beyond the sort of the the one liner uh, and the and the critical comments and the negativity, and to say, look, what kind of association do we want to see? Like, is this actually about children and young people? exercising, playing a game that they enjoy in a safe environment, are we serious about people having a career in this game? And if we are, how are we going to fund it? How are we going to offer pathways? Are we serious about the education system facilitating this? Why don't we have a facility for young people, for children to play this game every day? Damien Duff says they play PlayStation. Damien Duff was a kid, what, 25 years ago? And he, uh, 30 years ago? And he, he plays football on the street all the time. He says the kids these days don't. So what vision do we have to challenge that? Why don't we have a system where kids can play football? You can't become a footballer if you're doing it Tuesday, Thursday, and, and a game the weekend. You, you cannot become a footballer that way. But what vision and, and insight have we put into that? Stephen Elliott has a soccer school academy in the north of England around Sunderland, and they are knitted into the fabric of the local schools around there. They do football coaching every single day for kids who excel at football. And they see a career pattern for themselves because it's an industry. Um, you know, what have we done in Ireland to promote that or to believe in that? So, look, uh, I think there's any amount of possibilities for, for fair-minded, visionary people to sit around and believe in this game to promote it uh, and to think about the next 15, 20, 30 years. Um, and this, and to, to get over this hang-up we have about, about having to depend on England to give us the ones off victory in a qualifying campaign that might stumble us into a tournament. Like we, we, we can't live off scraps like that anymore. But like I love this game. I, I believe in it. It gave me so many, so much joy as a child. 
it still gives me joy today. Uh, going to a game with somebody that you, you know, that you, you know, friend, somebody that you love, somebody that you care about is a magical experience. To, to experience something absolutely dreadful and awful and woeful sticks with you for life, but that's all part of the, of the, of the overall experience. It's very something, you know, wonderful is great as well. It's all about the story. It's all about the story as the story of your days. And, and we're on this walking tour. We see people in their 70s and 80s who, who, who can remember these games from 60 years ago. It's magic. How can we have so, that mag- so much magic around us and not believe in it? But, you know, we've all been at games where you think, I'm going to remember this moment for the rest of my life. I am never going to forget how this feels. Be it Shane Long in, in, in Lanzarote Road against Germany or Wes in Paris against Sweden or whatever. Whatever uh, moment it was, I was, uh, I was there for both of those. Yeah, and I, was, and I, I was there. I was behind the goal when Robbie Brady scored against Italy, and oh, well, you know, yeah. uh, or, or, or the game in Paris when you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and, you know, and it, it, Shay Long's Shay Long's goal against yeah. Germany was on uh, reading in the ears in in the the oh. recent episode, and you know I can say. I was there, and like I've never heard a noise like that before or since in Aviva Stadium. Oh, or, or you, or you explain to people who are who are younger than thirty-five what Italian ninety was actually like. Now that can be us again and again and again, but it takes a little bit of vision, a little bit of planning, and a little bit of belief in ourselves. Otherwise, you know, but otherwise you just get sucked into this negative narrative about. Uh, the manager doesn't know what he's doing, and we need to, you know, get somebody who's whatever. Uh, and it, 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 you know, we have a footballing culture that needs to be challenged, and and we need to believe in it, and and we need to believe that it's important. And if music is important, and poetry is important, and uh, and theatre is important, and all these things are, then football is important. Their end of the lesson. <laughs> You and me, Joe, are saying a lot. Your two lads are not saying very much at all. Either they completely agree with everything we're saying or they completely disagree and can't wait to get on to the squad announcements. Good chat. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement there, Anne. Um, I suppose just uh, on your point in terms of maybe looking at a potential country, Belgium were very English-focused up until the early 1990s. An awful lot of their domestic support was very... um, English club based and then Belgian FA then went on a radical overhaul uh, with their youth systems and even the way that they developed their underage talent like even from they don't play 11 aside in Belgium I think until they're 16, 17 that you know ball is everything ball is your friend um, you know cultivating a 4-3-3 formation instead of a 4-4-2 you know getting the technical aspects correct even on a training ground not really kind of needing that much investment so completely agree with you there on the mindset and I think going back to facilities I mean Sligo Rovers this week very ambitious yeah ambitious plan and that's you know from a football club anywhere it has to come from the ground up you know that groundswell of opinion in terms of the support for a club Sligo being a prime example of that been a great soccer town throughout the years stuff like that even Treaty United and Limerick you know newly formed very cultivated in the grassroots that's where we're going to basically get this soccer. Is it's a passion for all of us here? Yeah, you know, I, I, th- I think we can. Households, you know, I think we can tap into. You know, I mean, never waste a good crisis. People have been uh, have been locked out of going to matches for the last year, and for for many people, the football experience is watched on television anyway. But if we can tap into look, look what you were missing 
for so long in not witnessing live sport and and to promote the domestic league in that way that okay it's not going to be at the same standards of, of what you see in the in the in, in the UK or Champions League but it, it is a good watch it's around the corner and and the live experience is something that's worth that's worth investing in um, but you have to make it worth a while brand loyalty is important for children uh, they enjoy being part of something like that. There, there are lots of different strategic ways you can do of promoting, promoting the game without being negative about people who, who are, who are you know, yet to be convinced and would rather watch maybe the Premiership than, than going to a, to, to a, a League of Ireland game. But we have an opportunity now because people haven't had the opportunity to go to games for the last year of, of offering it in some now. But who, who are making these, who are making these choices? Who is setting out the vision? Who is knitting all these things together? I think politics can play its part, but I think we need to be a little bit more. We need to we need to link these things together. The, the success of the senior international sides is linked to the underage structure. It's linked to the number of people who play the game. It's linked to the amount of times they actually get to train and to enhance their skills, which is linked <coughs> to, to 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 the investment it gets uh, and the beliefs that the that the entire country has in that we can have a, a domestic industry which is built around the game. That so many people feel so strongly about. So anyway, we've moved, we've moved off the tour into into, um, into a wider discussion. Yep. But it's, it's, it's a discussion I don't think happens enough. And, and what happens in, in politics, as, as what happens with a lot of things, we all put our arms around a successful artist or sports person when they win something. But we don't put their, 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 our arms around them when they're looking for investment. So Oscar nominations come around or somebody wins an Olympic gold or releases a, a very well-received album, the politician wants to be in the photograph. But when it comes to the, uh, uh, you know, and, and the soccer team as well, but when it comes to the discussion about uh, about funding for all these industries, the politician can't be seen for dust. Just say to, Shane Ross. You can see Shane, Shane Ross. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I mean... <laughs> I, you can say it. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think that's fair for uh, for any, for any individual or any particular political party to be to be uh, criticised about. I think all of us have to take responsibility. That's the bell for the for the my vote. Your conversation on the on the squad was probably going to be a bit more illuminating without me. Right. See you, lads. Bye bye. Take care. Take care. Yeah. I'd like to thank Aon for coming on to discuss the football walking tour in Dublin. We didn't expect the discussion to become quite so wide-ranging, but it's a fascinating uh, insight into the game in Ireland. And he makes a very good point that the, the power that the fans of the game and have in this country is vastly out of proportion to the amount of influence that it has at, at government level. And, you know, and not just I'm not just talking about Leinster House. It's even around the country at, at, at local level. I'm sure, and I don't want to pick on the GAA, I don't want to pick on rugby, but we can all name councillors or local TDs who have, uh, who, who have a, a proud background in codes outside of football, and there's absolutely 100% nothing wrong with that. But for a sport with participation levels that football has in this country, it, you know, it probably should have a louder voice among decision makers. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the particular discussion and um, we're going to move on to a little more familiar territory now and with the two upcoming friendlies against Andorra where we hope we're going to get our first win under Stephen Kenny and against Hungary who I think will provide us with a pretty good challenge coming up at the end of the month following a training camp in Malaga in Spain. 
the squad is set to be announced on Monday, uh, after the end of the domestic season in England. The final Premier League games are going to be on this Sunday. There's not going to be a lot of Irish talent on show, which we're going to discuss in a later episode, but we are going to discuss who we think should be in that squad. Mark, uh, we'll just start uh, as is traditional with the goalkeepers. Who do you think Stephen Kennedy is going to bring with him to Spain? And is there anyone you think, or is there any of the established players that you think are going to be left out? It's a good one, uh, Joel, really, from a goalkeeper perspective. Uh, at least we've kind of seen the emergence of a Darren Randolph successor in the last few fixtures. Now, I know people will come to me after this podcast and say, uh, uh, rate Mark Travers, you know, after the survey experience, but I think that'll all help him in good stead, Gavin Vizunu, and also uh, Darren Randolph as well, obviously those top three. Um, I suppose question marks would be on, would Stephen Kenny bring a fourth keeper? Uh, into the, the squad here, and you have a few options there. Um, you know, Kieran O'Hara has always been in the reckoning, but again, lack of game, first game, first team experience at Burton Albion. Jimmy Floyd Hasbank has really kind of plumbed for his other uh, senior goalkeeper in the squad, so maybe Kieran O'Hara is probably looking a bit vulnerable uh, in terms of that. So I would probably say Bazunu, Travers, Randolph, probably as your three uh, to go on this uh, Spanish uh, summer camp. I was thinking along the same lines myself, but uh, I would actually leave Randolph uh, out of the squad completely. Uh, hes I don't think we're going to learn much about him, uh, he, uh, about what he can do for Ireland. He's had a pretty injury-hit season um, and has only just returned to the West Ham squad. And, you know, he, he was only named in the, or he was moved from the subsidy sprints to the starting 11 this evening following an injury to Lanzini. It's possible he could play in their final game on Sunday against Southampton, but I genuinely I would just tell him, you know what, put your feet up for the summer. We will be calling on you for the qualifiers uh, when the season, or sorry, when the new season starts um, in September. But for now, just take it easy. I would like to see Karen O'Hara given a chance. I've also gone for Gavin Bazunu. I think. For a 19-year-old to come in uh, with the majority of his experience being in League One level in England, thought he did really well. The youngest player ever to represent Ireland in goals and making his debut 20 years to the day after Shea Given made his debut against Russia. I think he's only going to get better. Uh, he's returned to Man City at the, after the end of his loan and I expect him to go out on loan again next season. Maybe not to League One, maybe to the to the Championship, or possibly to one of the the feeder clubs that uh, City have set up uh, around Europe. Um, but I don't think he's going to be taking Ederson's number one jersey. Definitely not in the next twelve months. I'd also like to see Sean McDermott called up from Christiansund in in Norway. The new season in Norway has just started. Um, he started uh, all of their games so far. He's been on the periphery of the squad under previous managers, and I think for a training camp, he's absolutely ideal. He can come in, we can take a look at him, we can see what he can do. And uh, along the same lines, I'd like to call up Danny Rogers. Uh, I know he's been named on the substitute bench more often than not for fellow Irish goalkeeper Colin Doyle in Scotland, 
But he did have a, a solid run in the team earlier in the season. And again, I think if we bring him in, we can see what he can do in a training camp environment, you know, which, you know, for honest, is going to be a lot of it is going to be about evaluation. Um, and if it works out, well and good. If it doesn't, well, you know, it's a training camp and it's a friendly against Andorra. It doesn't really matter. And finally, I'm going to go for uh, four goalkeepers and I'm going to bring in uh, Cuevin Callagher and I expect him to make his debut. He has returned to Liverpool squad recently. I know he's only named on the substitutes bench, but it's good to see him back from the, the injury that had kept him out of the squad until Still recently, I think he's going to push on next season. I think we're going to see more of him in cup football than we do in league football. But I think he's he's established himself as the Liverpool number two. Phil, what are your thoughts on the the goalkeepers for uh, Stephen Kenny? Um, so just to pick you up on what you said about this is a training camp and it doesn't really matter. Like time is a great kind of healer and. People seem to forget that our last two results were one all with Qatar when we really needed a win to lift everybody, and the result before that was a one 0 defeat to Luxembourg. This is the furthest thing from a training camp that could be possible. This is a we're up Shea Creek camp, and we're trying to implement a system for the last year with a bunch of players who can't seem to get it right. This is isn't a training camp to be trying out loads of new players. This is a training camp to get the players who we will be relying on to actually learn and be able to play this system in our next couple of games. I don't see this as a let's bring a few lads along and try them out and we might never see them again kind of camp. I don't think Stephen Kenny will either. I think this will be the full senior team bar maybe three or four players we haven't seen before. And it'll be they'll be working on actually trying to implement what Kenny wants. I, I, I don't see it, it, it I don't think it'll be any other way. Like it's not in a normal circumstance it it might be, but at the moment it's not. Like Irish football is the worst off it's been in in the senior men's team is the worst off it's been in years. Like the next two games are well they've Portugal, Azerbaijan and then they've Serbia. Like there's a real chance they could finish second bottom. I don't think it's gonna be a case of, you know, let's try them out and if it doesn't work, sure. What about it? Like, do you just, do you, do you think that? No, is that just me? I think I said that at the last part as well. I certainly agree with you, Phil. Sorry for cutting across you. Uh, I'd see this kind of training camp really as kind of Stephen Kenny and the management really implementing their style and ethos on the squad. You know, they've had precious little time to do that during the pandemic. Basically arranged UK kind of training camps, you know, one day least he'd have a full squad for nine days and I think he has the underage the under 21s there as well um, which would be quite beneficial as well to run the rule over them but I'll be with you Philip you know and that was the reason why I kind of put Randolph in there as well because if we want to kind of pass you know like from a goalkeeper perspective passing it out from the back starts from your goalkeeper as well and Darren has been very loyal and a solid performer for us but again distribution from the back there was a question mark about him against Finland particularly in the Nations League so um, that would be my mindset anyway. Like, I just don't think it'll be a traditional training camp in every sense of the way. I think it'll be more like it's finally time. As you said, he'd have time. Kenny would have time with the players. And, like, we can see that there's there's problems throughout the squad or throughout the 
the 11, we can see where we're giving away soft goals, maybe where we're not as good in some places. Like, the idea is there, we can see what we're trying to do, but he obviously hasn't had enough time. And I think this is the... It's, if he does bring in a load, of, like a load of young lads to try out, I think it's it's a big missed opportunity for him. And I think he needs all the help and every chance he can get now. So I, I, like, I still think we'll see three or four new faces, but I think we'll, it's not going to be a case of let's give... Seamus Coleman, let's give him 20 minutes because we know what he can do. It'll be Seamus Coleman is going to start both games and play 70 minutes. Maybe like what our back four should be. The keeper should start, who starts the two games and maybe plays 60 minutes a game should be the keeper that's going starting in the Azerbaijan game. I think that's the way the two games will go. Maybe a, a bit of movement of personnel up front because we're not exactly sure who we're going to play. That's the way I think it will go. Keeper wise, I wouldn't bring Randolph. I don't think we should ever see Randolph in a green jersey again because we have better options there. I'd play Kelleher, I'd bring Bazuna, and I'd bring Travers. And if you were bringing a fourth, maybe Ahora. But um, I wouldn't bring Randolph because I don't think Randolph should start the the next competitive games. So I don't see the the point in bringing him. I think if Kelleher is back fit, I think he definitely deserves a crack. And I think we should be looking now to to cement a new young keeper in there. I think now is the time. We don't wait for Randolph to turn around and say he's retiring at 35 after playing maybe 10 games over two seasons. But just because he's been solid to play him, I think we're beyond that now. That's my rant over. Okay. Disagree this. Darren Randolph should be dropped completely from the Ireland setup. I think think he's earned his spot until the end of the year. Now, depending on the form of, say, of maybe Bazunu and Kelleher, he might not be the first choice but I think his experience at international level means that he should be definitely be part of the squad I, I know I didn't pick him for the training camp but I don't think that his international career is is over no I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say over no like you're you're 100% right in what you're saying like I, uh, maybe I, I agree with you like bring him like he should be a part of the squad like he's a good old head to have around but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be starting him anymore Okay. All right, so sorry, I just uh, misunderstood you there. No, it was probably me. That... Okay, so you named Seamus Coleman there in the, as your, one of your defenders. Uh, who else would you have in defence? I'd bring, bring O'Shea, I'd bring, I'd bring Duffy, Christie, uh, Stevens, Egan is back from injury, uh, Manning, basically the usual suspects. Um, I wouldn't, there wouldn't be any massive surprises, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be much of a difference in defence either. Again, I've gone for slightly expanded numbers in defence. I'd bring Seamus Coleman, Matt Doherty, Ryan Manning, Andy Stevens, John Egan, Daryl Shea and Daryl Lenehan. But I'd like to see Tommy Hoban, Warren O'Hara and Conor McCarthy called up. I know Hoban has just been released by Aberdeen, which I didn't really understand because I thought he's had a, a pretty solid season for the Dons. I know his injury record isn't great, but he plays consistently well across the season, and I think he's unfortunate to be released. And I don't think he'll have much trouble finding another club, either North of Hadrian's Wall or possibly at Championship or, or League One level. And I think as a reward for that, he should be brought in. I think similarly, Conor McCarthy has had a, a, a really good season in Scotland, part of you know one of the surprise packages of the, the Scottish Premier League this season. And 23, 
you know, I think he's only going to get better. And kind of similarly, uh, Warren O'Hara, who I think is the kind of defender that wants to play the type of football that Stephen Kenny wants to play. A very solid possession-based style. He has an eye for a pass. And like you would hope from a lot of defenders, he's uh, he's a threat from set pieces. I haven't included Shane Duffy. I think he will be named by Stephen Kenny, but I haven't included him. I think he's had an absolutely rotten season at Celtic. I don't think anyone is going to disagree with me on that. And, you know, he possibly needs the summer to get his head straight. And the sooner that happens, the better for us, because on on top form, he's probably our best centre half. Mark, uh, who do you think Stephen Kenny should bring Defensively, I, I can't really disagree with any of your picks, lads. The only two that I can really think of, really, is Daryl Lenehan. I don't know what he has to do to even get a little bit of game time on a friendly or, you know, even make a squad. I do rate the player an awful lot, you know, very much in that Shane Duffy mode. And I think, you know, a good passer of a ball that really Stephen Kenny has been looking for. And maybe the Semmer and Link as well, given that there was such a standout in the SPL shock to see as well potentially could be worth a call up but I think that's an outside bet to be honest um, if we're going with the opinion here that this is going to be a summer camp where he's running the rule over the majority of the squad then I think Shocknessy doesn't make it going back to Tommy Hope and I think you know I was surprised by that release but I think Aberdeen have pretty professional troubles during the pandemic and I think it's just a case of kind of cutting wage bill here in terms of player squad uh, I know Stephen Glasson installed as new manager, but I, I suspect it could be a difficult season for Aberdeen next year, just given with all the pandemic. So I think Tommy Hogan was just a victim of just being a little bit too much injured and, you know, not having enough games under his belt, but he's super. And, you know, it'd be nice to see him there, but I think for the Spanish call-up, I think uh, that mightn't happen. It's entirely possible that Hogan won't be named in the squad. And if I'm honest, I don't expect him to be. Um, I just think that with the form he's shown over the season, he does, he deserves it. And I know Phil disagrees with me that, oh, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's just a training camp, but I think he's, um, for an expanded squad, um, I think he's a player that can, can definitely bring something. Uh, well, he hasn't been available to previous managers because of his injury record, but he had a great reputation at under, uh, underage level when he was coming to the ranks at Watford. He was even linked with Arsenal. And I think he deserves to be looked at. So we've, Discuss the goalkeepers and defenders. Uh, Mark, who do you think is going to? Are we going to see in midfield? I think probably tried and trusted here again, guys, isn't it? I would throw in Jamie McGrath from St. Mirren. He's had an outstanding season, attacking midfielder. Um, Jason Knight, one of my favourite players. Um, hopefully, he's going to get some significant game time. Uh, yeah, Ryan Manning, I'd kind of be more of a wing back. Um, Darren Horgan, probably. Jeff Hendrick, Josh Cullen. Alan Brown, Robbie Brady. It's it's I think going to be usual suspects here. I think uh, guys for the most part, James McLean as well probably would be kind of getting into that squad as well. Um, but yeah, hopefully Jim McGrath will be featuring in some shape or form because we definitely need to kind of run the rule over uh, the guy and also Jason Willoughby as well. I would say as well. Jamie McGrath having an absolutely outstanding season for Sam Mirren and uh, rightfully named their Player of the Season. Can't disagree with that. I, I absolutely 100%. He's the first name on my list for midfield. I also think Anthony Scully from Lincoln should be brought in. Uh, unfortunately, the playoff situation means that should Lincoln progress, it's going to clash with the training camp. But I don't see any reason why he can't fly into Spain after 
you know, hopefully to, he gets to lead them to the championship. Other than that, it's like you said, Mark, it's it's the tried and trusted. I think it'll be Conor Horan, Jason Nice, Josh Cullen, Jeff Hendrick, James McCarthy, who's recently returned to fitness for Crystal Palace. Possibly might be excluded because he's been injured, been injured for so long. He's only had a couple of games back and they might decide, you know what, take the summer off um, and we will see you in September. Also, Preston's uh, Alan Brown. But I'd like to see Olamida Shadipo called up. He's been out on loan this season. He scored an absolute handful of goals. He's going to return to QPR for the, the new season uh, in August. Uh, absolutely fired up. I expect him to, to absolutely storm the championship if his form continues. Um, and also, and I know this is a bit out there, but I think uh, after the conversations that apparently have been ongoing with uh, Getafe's John Joe Patrick Finn, he should be brought into the, the training camp as well. He's only 17, but he has appeared in the Premier League of this season, which for me puts him you know, right at the top of the, the Irish underage prospects. Even if it's just that to have him train with the senior players, um, you know, if he's still unsure if he wants to 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 play for the boys in green, I think he should still be named in the squad just as a, a show of faith uh, from our side. Uh, apparently, he he's eligible to play for his his native Spain, uh, Cameroon, through his mother, and apparently England as well. Although I'm not quite sure uh, how he qualifies for the three lines, um, but he'll just be something different. Um, you know, for the for this training camp, uh, Phil, what do you think? Yeah, um, I definitely agree with uh, bringing Finn. Um, I'd agree with everyone you said there. Again, it's it's a funny one. Like we go on about the usuals, and I, when you said the usuals, I know exactly who you mean. But we have to take a look at Knight, Cullen, and Malumbi, who like seem to be the new usuals now, but like very limited time playing for the senior team at competitive level, and to be trying to bring in too many new midfielders without like giving these fellas fellas all the time they need will be again I think the wrong call like they they do need game time these lads because these are this is the future apparently so while they they seem to be regulars in the squad they haven't played that much so this is a time now where we need to see them play together and play a lot of minutes in in the two games Ryan Johansson will be there with the under under twenty ones. I think Crawford said he was yeah, going to be there. Wouldn't be a, you know again like you said about Finn. Wouldn't be a bad idea just to throw him in the mix. If we need anything, it's creativity in on the flanks and in the middle of the park. And again, like I think Jamie McGrath. I didn't watch a whole lot of SPL this year, but when you see ten goals, six assists, he should absolutely be in the squad. So I think they'd be the main points. But I think the main the main thing would be to get Knight, Cullen and Malumbi minutes, minutes together, playing together. Uh, Ryan Hansen, who who we assumed we had, was previously ineligible um, and was had declared for his, his father's country, for Sweden. Um, but even though he had limited um, exposure to the Irish setup, just playing a few friendlies for the under 19s. Uh, he seemingly, he seemingly had his heart set on declaring for the boys in green. And if he's called into the under 21 squad, if he impresses, then by, you know, I, I'd love to see him 
uh, included in the, the senior setup as soon as possible. And considering Ryan Nolan is also part of, the, is, is unavailable due to injury, but also part of the Getafe squad, you know, we could see three Ireland internationals playing in the Premier League uh, next season. So finally, Phil, uh, who have you named as your strikers? Ida uh, Collins, who's on the move to to join up with Mick. Connolly, Parrot, and Robinson. Again, I don't really foresee anyone else coming in that's going to play against Azerbaijan and Portugal out of those lads. Um, so I think those... Those are the lads we should be playing. Um, I'm, I'm probably forgetting someone. I'm sure there's someone, but uh, oh, sorry, uh, Obafemi as well. He's 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 back wherever he was. He's he's back now. So maybe get him back into the mix and see if he's matured a bit. If if he wants to impress, this is a good time to try and impress and maybe put all that bit of animosity with him and the manager behind him. So, besides that, I wouldn't really say anyone else. Again, I'd be of the opinion that they need to pick the lads that are going to be involved in the next competitive games and try and play that system. So, I would imagine Ida would start the first game. Mark, I certainly can't disagree with any of that. Who do you think Stephen Kenny's going to have training uh, up front? Can't really argue with Phil there, to be honest. Um, I think Shane Long, it all depends on AFC Bournemouth, whether they get into the playoff final. Might be kind of cutting it close for long to basically go to Spain after kind of a long season. Um, the only two I can probably think of, and these are very much, le- you know, kind of left field kind of selections, Odebiku from West Ham. Again, this could be a case of an extended party. He may fit the bill. I know he's playing very well with West Ham currently. I know he had a kind of a, an unforgettable night for all the wrong reasons in Old Trafford, but He's a guy that David Moyes definitely does respect and uh, has high hopes for. Might be one. And look, uh, I've mentioned him before on this podcast, but Owen Doyle as well. I know the age profile may not fit. 19 goals with both Wanderers in League 2. It's not as if we're being blessed here with any sort of significant goal poacher this season. Um, again, But again, uh, I think as you've said, guys, the guys you've mentioned here, are probably the ones that will be selected and will be run the rule over. I think there are two kind of left field picks, to be honest, just to be controversial about it. No, uh, I don't think they're controversial at all. In fact, I had both of them down as my would like to see. As you say, look, Owen Doyle at 33, um, possibly isn't going to be involved you know, long-term for the Ireland team, but after the season he's had... Uh, uh, you know, a reward for that is is definitely being being called up to the to the senior team. As for Odubiku, he's just been named the PL2 Player of the Month. He seems to be perennially named on the substitutes bench for West Ham, but still hasn't made his league debut. Even though he has made his his senior bow for the Hammers, kind of similar to John Joe Patrick Finn. I think it's a show of faith on the part of the Ireland setup that they do see a place for him long term in the Ireland squad up front with with Paris, with Ida, with Robinson and with Connolly as well. I've come to thirty eight players altogether. Uh kind of harkens back to the end of Martin O'Neill's days in terms of squad size. But again for a training camp you kinda need uh those kind of numbers if you're gonna you know be playing eleven aside games. 
I hope you enjoyed the discussion we had about the history of Irish football. It went off on a tangent we didn't expect it to go on, but it was uh, really enjoyable for us to get the opinions of someone who sits maybe at a table that a lot of football fans don't even know about. Uh, like I said, I was on the football walking tour with him and with Gary Cook last year. I would highly recommend it to anyone. You can follow them on Twitter at Football Tour Dub and uh, Aon is available at, at Aon O'Reardon and Gary is at Gary Cook too. Or you can email them at footballwalkingtour at gmail.com if you want to apply for a, a spot uh, on the tour. They have uh, all their available dates uh, on their, on their Twitter. It's a great, uh, way to spend a couple of hours on a Saturday. I'd like to thank Mark and Phil for the squads that we've named. We're looking forward to hearing what Stephen Kenny says on Monday. And if you have anyone that you think we've omitted, should Aid McGeady or Wes Houlihan be given one last appearance uh, in the green jersey, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Irish underscore abroad. Mark is available at Hawkeye Psychic. And Phil is at Philip Flanagan. We have a couple of more episodes to do before the end of the season. We're going to preview the friendlies after the squad is named next week. And we'll review the results themselves early in June. We hope to talk to you soon. Thanks.